0: good morning good morning church good morning. well it's been uh it's been a week huh <laughs> it's been a week uh to say the least i'm sure everyone's aware of things that are going on uh overseas with uh, you know with russia invading ukraine and uh You know, this is all stuff maybe we don't see in in ultra fine detail, but it's all stuff that's depicted in the word of God. Um, You know, Russia is that country from the north. It's going down. Um, You know, me and Sal were praying this morning and, and, you know, my my heart, I believe the Lord showed me this. And um, obviously uh, we we had Christy. um, She made a slide um, that was on whatever, social media and on our website uh, during the middle of the week, um, asking people to pray for Ukraine. But I also feel like, uh, again, or I, I know the Lord has showing me we need to pray for uh, Russia, too, as far as the citizens. I, I believe that not everyone that is a citizen of that country is in line with the things that uh, their leader is doing. Uh, but we, there's a lot going on. Uh, and I'm not making this into a political thing. This is, again, biblical. Um, you see uh, China uh, and, and what they're trying to do with Taiwan, taking over them. Uh, you got Iran and all the things going on there. So um, these are prophetic things that we're seeing happening in our own lifetime. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the price of gas skyrocket in the matter of 24, 48 hours. Food. Yay! Baby knows. <laughs> Uh, Food is going to be more expensive, precious metals, all these things, you know. But as uh, Michelle was alluding to, we have no reason to fear. If we truly are vested in Jesus Christ, if we truly look to Jesus Christ as the source of our security, though we will walk through tumultuous waters and difficulties in this life, our souls eternally will be intact. Amen all right um she's amening and, and I'm, I'm digging that uh it, it's just a lot going on we're, we're in we're in a season of change we truly are whether you realize it or not there are changes going on even if you want to stay the same you can't you can't because the timeline of life is moving and so we need to either get on the train of jesus christ or Be on the sidelines watching. I don't want to be on the sideline. I want to be right with the Lord involved in whatever it is he has for us. Amen. So uh, without further ado, we'll be uh, in Revelation chapter 7. We'll be going through verses 1 down through 8 this morning. And uh, again, it's just amazing how timely the Lord is because this is not something I don't sit up late at night trying to script uh, a a schedule (laughs) as far as what the Lord's going to lead me to teach or where we happen to be in the book of Revelation. But I think it's timely that we're in this portion of Scripture this morning and the implications of this portion of Scripture. So if you can and you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. And we will be in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 down through 8. I've entitled this message, The 144,000 of Israel Sealed. All right. to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that we have no no place with you apart from the blood of your son Jesus Christ. But with that as we have been reconciled to you through your son Jesus, we boldly can come before you now, and Lord, we we ask that you would give us insight, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us uh, the prophetic wisdom in this, Lord, and how uh, this portion is extremely applicable to us uh, personally and how we can see its effectiveness and how you keep your promise to the end of the age, Lord. How this is applicable right now, live. This is not, this is not a dress rehearsal These things are happening as we speak. And so, Lord, may you have full reign and full control over our hearts and our minds. And again, would you help us to apply the wisdom that's here in your text this morning? Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right. As I mentioned, today we will begin uh, chapter 7 in the book of Revelation. Last week we wrapped up. Uh, the last four uh, seals that were opened by uh, the uh, the, uh, the Lamb that was slain, uh, the whole of the seven seals being opened, is a great sign of God's vengeance against disobedience and sin. We talked about that last week. We talked about how peace would be will be taken from the earth. One fourth of the population was killed as those last four seals were opened. And again, as you look at uh, our climate today, uh, the culture, the climate of the world, wars, rumors of wars, uh, nations rising up against nation. These things are happening real time. So, again, uh, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the in the drawer to, to see that there's things going on and that we need to be alert and we need to be on call. Amen. Uh, Last week, we also saw that there would be a great famine that the world had never seen. And saints, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, killed for their faith. They were told to wait a little bit longer before he takes vengeance upon their lives. They were given white robes, which represent their connection to Jesus and their humility and their obedience to the Lord. And then lastly, we saw that all of humanity at that point in time in history, rich and poor, free and slave, who have decided in their hearts to rebel against the true and living God, meaning they're clearly choosing that they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They were hiding in the caves, asking for the rocks to kill them, to crush them, the mountains to fall upon them, fearful of facing the true and living God and having to face the lie that they have been living all their lives. They, they hid in the caves. These are, these are prophetic things that have not happened yet, but they will come. It is here that we are introduced in chapter 7 with the four angels who hold back the winds from the four corners of the earth. We'll also be introduced this morning to the 144,000 from the tribes of Israel who are a great sign of, of God's redemptive glory in that day. We have several main points to take away from our text this morning. And the first one is this, to be hidden, to be kept, to be protected in Jesus Christ is to be sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Now we see that these four angels in our text were given a specific command from God. They were to hold back the winds from coming upon the earth. Also to seal the servants of God on their forehead. Those who are saved, hidden in Jesus Christ, are sealed, secured in His redemption. If you are saved today, if you have Given over authority of your life and given it to Jesus Christ and believe that he is the only one that can redeem you, save you of your sins, clean you up, regenerate you, make you right with God the Father. You are sealed. Now, it's not like you go to the post office and, you know, you have an envelope and you put a stamp on it. You You can't necessarily visibly see it. This is a supernatural spiritual act but you are sealed in Jesus Christ. Amen? There are... Man, that's awesome. (laughs) There are plenty of examples of this in Scripture. I mean, you don't have to look that far. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the deposit or seal in the hearts of Christians, those who are truly born again. The Holy Spirit is God's seal on His people. His claim on us as his very own. You identify with God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ being reconciled to him. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Remember, the Bible says we are now the temple of the living God. And so with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have the seal of redemption. The gift of the Holy Spirit to believers is a down payment of our heavenly inheritance, which Christ has promised us and he secured that upon the cross when he laid down his life and when he resurrected from the grave and is now seated next to God the Father in heaven. It is because the Holy Spirit has sealed us that we are assured of our salvation. See, this is so important because, and, and, and now we see it a lot as well, unfortunately, within the church there's all kinds of things that people are throwing out of how you're saved. Well, we're raising up this ministry, or we're erecting this building, and we got so many people coming to this, uh, this church, and, and we service all these people on all these fronts. Those are good things. I'm not, I'm not demeaning any of those things, but none of those things save. If you look to those things to redeem you, you are not saved. You're not regenerated. You're only regenerated. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit that comes in to you to give you the authority and the ability to live a holy and righteous life, right? Set apart for God's service. But once you are sealed, no one can break the seal of God. No one can break that. So when people say, oh, this person used to walk with the Lord, they're not saying, you know, hey... That's not not my call or your call to make. We are are called to make judgment calls. Don't, Don't hear me wrong. But we can never say, that person for sure is not saved. How do you know? How do I know? Allow the Lord to deal with that individual. And allow the Lord to sort out that person's salvation. Amen? What we should be doing is... Oh, man, it's so messed up, man. I remember when that person was, I, 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 I would see them and it seemed like they were so tight with Christ and it seems like they've gone astray or they, they've, they've drifted. Our response should be, let me pray for that brother. Let me pray for that sister on a daily basis, right? Make it something that it, it, it's a burden because I, bet I for, know for sure it's a burden on Jesus's heart. I know Jesus is praying for that person, but why would we nitpick and say, oh, well, I don't know. See how, how finicky and fickle we are as humans. As Christians, we should know better. And, and, and if we don't go as far as actually reaching out to the person and engaging with them, the least we should do is intercede for them and pray for them. There's so much power in intercessory prayer. I mean, it's like the Mike Tyson punch out, knockout punch times a million. You know, Mike Tyson is a devastating man. He can still lay hands on people at the age he's at now. But prayer is a supernatural power that breaks down strongholds that the enemy has in people's lives. But we need to be willing to engage. Are you engaging in the warfare? Are you engaging? We're not called to just be these loosey-goosey Christians. And I'm not trying to be all militant. But there is a seriousness and a heaviness to the call on your life and my life we're in war (laughs) and war is bloody war is grimy war is dirty war is nasty war is tiresome so we have to engage and continue to get our strength from the lord amen so it is through the holy spirit and his teachings And guiding power that we are sealed and confirmed until the day of redemption, complete and free from the corruption of sin and the grave. Man, doesn't that blow your mind that you are you are free from the corruption of sin. Sin cannot corrode and corrupt the character of your life anymore. Again, it's this whole principle of what do you and I come into agreement with on a daily basis? Do we wake up in the morning and say lord i come into agreement with you and your holy truth that your will be done in my life lord let me not ask of things that would be a disservice to you and the people around me but lord may i honor you with my life man that's so important that's so important to have the wherewithal the discernment to recognize when you and I are starting to shift and we're starting to almost come into agreement with things that have no purpose in the Lord and say, "I no, say no to that before you end up finding yourself as the one that you were looking at saying, man, that person used to walk tight with the Lord. (laughs) And now we find ourselves, unfortunately, it could happen. But see, we have to, we have to engage. We have to engage, you know, maybe you're sealed, but maybe, not maybe, there's other people you know that are not sealed and their lives depend on your engagement and you actively pursuing them through Christ for them to get saved. That's how it works. So the whole that's the whole principle of we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Why? Because people could be praying for miracles to fall from the sky, but they're not going to necessarily fall from the sky. They're going to fall through the hands and the feet of believers like you and me to actually get up and do something, to actually engage. Um, I'll share this real quick just because the Lord laid it on my heart. <laughs> I didn't expect to share this, but I was taking Kalos to play basketball a couple days ago, and there's a homeless man that's always... Um, by where uh, where we live and you know i said hey you know w- we should probably um stop and talk to him and see if he needs something and uh you know on our way back from playing basketball he was there and so i drove up pulled up and and talked to the man and uh it was cool because you know a lot of times we don't necessarily know the circumstances that lead people to be homeless but in a lot of my dealings with homeless people and i've had you know quite a few I tend to see a lot of homeless people not all but some homeless people they have a good sense of who jesus christ is and i had a sense that this man was not on drugs that he was speaking clearly and it was cool to just engage with him and have a conversation and so now i know his name his name's raymond and i told him hey when i when i see you around i'm gonna acknowledge you by name and and and, and say hi to you you know and and i asked him if i could pray for him and you know he uh he told me and i prayed for him and it was just it was just a good engagement because in that conversation with him, I said, this is what we need to be doing as believers, as Christians. We can't be afraid. And I'm not saying give handouts to people that are going to go and abuse it. But again, it's not our deal what they choose to do with it. If the Lord puts it on your heart to go engage with, in, with someone, be obedient and do it. You are the church. Who else to do this work? Everyone else says, oh, yucky. Oh, coronavirus. Let me put my mask on before I engage. You know, and I won't get into that, but uh, Lord willing, next week it'll be something else. We won't be in this particular minute. So <laughs> Santa Clara County said. Anyways, but we need to engage with people. And it's so important because that's how they're going to see. And you having the Holy Spirit inside of you, being sealed for the day of redemption, you have power and authority to do that. And do it boldly, in confidence, in love. And people will, will receive that. And man, your father in heaven will be glorified. Simple acts. You don't got to, you know, try to do something super crazy and, you know, but it's just engaging with people. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of. Of his glory, and there's so many verses that speak of this being sealed in the Holy Spirit, sealed in Christ for the day of redemption. That's just one. All right, the second main point is this God has a specific plan to be glorified through the tribes of Israel in the great tribulation. So, as we are introduced to the 144,000 from the tribes of Israel, we are reminded of God's promise to his people. Exodus chapter nineteen, verses four through six, tell us, "You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be treasured possession. You should be. You shall be. Excuse me. My treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine." And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay. While some have misinterpreted the 144,000 to be others who are not Jews, Scripture is crystal clear that these are redeemed Jewish people who have come to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their savior and their lord even though today there are still many jewish people who deny that jesus christ is lord there are still some of the jewish heritage that have truly become followers of jesus christ Um, i don't know if any of you listen to 1100 am much kfax but uh you know I, i enjoy Uh, listening to the teaching of Rabbi Snyder from Discovering the Jewish Jesus. He's a great example of a a Jewish man who has been converted and how he clearly is uh, anointed and has the the hand of God upon him to uh, spread the gospel message. And and, uh, it's just a great listen. Um, And, you know, there's much insights that that I've gained um, listening to to that pastor uh, teach or that rabbi for that matter. But this is the case here in our text about those Jews that are being regenerated and being saved. The Lord will receive a special praise of honor and glory for the redemption of these saints during the great tribulation. And The third main point is this. Before the Lord's righteous judgment is executed, there will be a great harvest of souls. You see, the harvest of souls is real and we will see A great display of this when the 144,000 will be sealed and saved. Though it seems like many people today reject Jesus Christ, there are actually many who still are ready to receive him daily. The Bible is clear in Matthew chapter 9 verse 37. He said to the disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Though many today reject salvation that Jesus Christ offers, there are still many that are eager to invite Him into their hearts. This is what we see during the Great Tribulation. These 144,000 are the many that are ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you look at the landscape of your life today, I'm sure there are people that you engage with that they're curious, that they're hungry, that they've spent all that this world can can give them and offer them and they're looking for something to satisfy this this craving this desire deep down inside of them and it's really they're craving christ they just don't know it and so it's up to us to be obedient and be used in that manner whether we plant a seed whether we water the seed it doesn't matter we're still being obedient and we're being a faithful witness amen All right, let's go ahead and look at these first three verses, verses one down through three. And it says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been giving power to harm earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads." Okay, so this first statement, four angels standing at the corner of the earth. Now this phrase, four corners of the earth, is an ancient and sometimes modern equivalent to the idea of the four points of a compass, right? North, south, east, and west. So if you kind of get that picture in your mind, it kind of gives you a a better framework, or I don't want to say a better, but a a different description of what this is actually talking about, the four corners of the earth. Holding the four winds of the earth. These winds were a destructive force of God's judgment, as they often are in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 13, verse 15 gives us this example, and it says, Though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the Lord shall come from the wilderness. Then his spring will become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. Now, see, that is all, again, that's the work of the Lord. We, we don't control the weather. We don't control which way the wind blows, where it comes from. But the wind can do a lot of damage. Amen. If, you look at if you've ever lived somewhere outside of California, somewhere, you know, where there's tornadoes and all that. Oh, man, I would, I would not want to live in Kansas. <laughs> you probably could get a, a nice house for real cheap. But I don't want to be having to run down to the cellar every time some, you know, t- a twister comes ripping through. That stuff is pretty wild. I, I, I mean, you know, hearing stories about people being impaled by wood logs and all kind of wild stuff cut up by glass. I mean, it's no joke, but that is uh, another manifestation of just, a, a, just probably a pinky size amount of power that the Lord holds and allowing things like that to happen. The four winds of the earth may refer back to the four horsemen of Revelation chapter six, verse one through eight and and taken after the pattern of Zechariah chapter 6 verse 1 through 8. In that passage four chariots with horses the same color of those in Revelation go out to all the earth and are called the four spirits of heaven. Spirits in that passage translate to the Hebrew word ruach which can also translate winds. And so we, again we see this connection with scripture how it regards this, and we we could identify and say that, yes, this, this uh, this is so, this is true. Next, we see another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Another angel had a seal, and he sealed the people of God. In the ancient world, seals were very familiar. A king or a property owner could use a seal to show ownership, or authenticity. So it would be authentic if it had the seal of the property owner or the king. The application is this. Again, when you come into faith with Jesus Christ, you and I receive a seal from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are His entirely. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says, Now he who establishes us With you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. That's a beautiful thing. Again, these verses are to encourage us that, you know, you don't have to question your salvation. You don't have to question whether or not the Lord has taken you, cleaned you up. And now you are off in your sanctification journey as you stay on this earth, living out your time that the Lord has ordained for you. Next, we see in this portion of Scripture, it goes on to say, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. This is a very interesting point, because notice that more destruction will only come after the 144,000 are sealed. This is important to point out because it shows us that the Lord is in full control and if you and I have submitted our lives to him through our dependence upon Jesus Christ that even though we will face physical certain death our souls are sealed for eternity that's a reason to rejoice your soul is sealed for eternity even though our physical bodies are perishing We've talked about this many times. You can try to get the gray out. I'm <laughs> I'm 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 going into that stage of my life where you know the gray just keeps coming. I've come to just accept it and enjoy it and you know, this is it's it's too much it's too much work to, to try to, to to try to get away from it. It's just part of life, part of living on this earth. But our souls are eternally secure, though our physical bodies are perishing. Amen? These servants of God will receive a protective seal on their forehead containing God's name in some manner. Revelation chapter 14 verse 1 tells us, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. In Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4, a similar protective seal was given to the righteous before Jerusalem was judged you see so there the judgment's coming but the fact that the Lord is setting aside those who are going to be spared from that eternal judgment again that shows you man the goodness of God that he's like no I'm going to make sure what was it the 99 one goes astray he's going to go back for that one that's 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 that same picture of the mercy of God He says, even though my righteous indignation, my righteous wrath is going to fall upon this planet, I am going to make sure I get every single soul that is going to receive my son Jesus Christ. And not until he does will he allow that administered wrath to come forth. That's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture if you're on the side of accepting Jesus as your Savior, that is. The next statement is the servant of our God. Now we are not told what exactly their service is, but the 144,000 are sealed for a specific and unique purpose. However, the general idea of being sealed is not limited to them. Examples of this, Jesus was sealed. God the Father had set his seal on him. John chapter 6 verse 27 tells us this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man will I give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. We know that the Bible said, what about Jesus? Jesus is the bread of what? Life. Amen. And so we feast on him, not literally. See, people... Just get it all whacked out if we don't have the framework. They say, you guys are cannibals, you eating Jesus, what is going on? No, we're feasting on the spiritual bread that he is, the bread of life, the wisdom, the godly wisdom that he is. We, we take that internally and we allow that to manifest its greatness within us so that we could live the way God had intended us to live. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, uh, again, as a down payment of our eventual total redemption to be completely redeemed. I mean, we are redeemed when we receive Christ, but I'm talking about in the present tense, all of it, meaning when we're to be with him for eternity, forever, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of that. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, God who... Also, has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I mean, all riddled through Scripture are are, are these statements of you and I being sealed for Christ for the day of redemption. And so, again, don't ever let that slippery serpent try to persuade you to come into agreement with Him to question your salvation. Now, you can surely question whether or not you're producing healthy spiritual fruit. I hope you are. I hope you're not just kicking back and say, I got my get out of hell pass and that's it. Now, you definitely can do that as far as reflecting on what you're doing with the time that the Lord has allotted you in life. But don't ever question your salvation. That is a guarantee. And if you are questioning it, maybe you just have to decide, Did, have I really given my life fully over to Christ? Remember, it's an it's a act of humility, an act of submission to say, no, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you. Once you do that, you're, you're good. The application is this. This sealing of the Holy Spirit belongs to every believer when they are saved. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The reality is this. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is meant to both comfort and to challenge us. It really is. We are comforted in that He assures us that we belong to God. We are challenged by Him to depart from all evil and identify ourselves with the one we belong to. And I think we all battle with that from time to time. It's like, again, it's that whole premise of what are we coming into agreement with on a day-to-day basis? Are we identifying with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Not being pious, not being super spiritual, not being a jerk or arrogant, but truly saying this is what my life is. I want my life to consist of. Am I perfect at it? Far from it. But this is my bend now. I bend towards the Lord now and I do not bend towards my own ways. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. So again, we see in that verse right there, we have, a deci- we have a decisive command from God. If we identify with Christ, we are to depart from in- iniquity, meaning we are not to be going back to a lifestyle of habitual sin. Again, will we sin? Of course we're going to sin. We're not perfect this side of heaven. But to, 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 to lay in the pig pen, so to speak, is unacceptable for you and for me. We should not be those kind of Christians that are wallowing in the muck of sin and living it up, thinking that we're okay. No, we are so deceived if we find ourselves like that. We should be disgusted when we fall into sin. We should be sick to our stomachs when we fall into sin. We should be just hurt by the fact that, man, Lord, I've, I've disrespected you by allowing myself to go that way. And then we repent right ask for forgiveness and then we're good if we if we involve someone else get right with that person and then what happens the guilt goes away the shame goes away and then you're able to live again in the confident hope of christ and you don't have to walk around beat up but you see too many christians don't get right with the lord don't get right with people and then wonder why their lives are all messed up and wonder why they're not walking in victory it's simple but it takes humility and it takes courage to go to someone and say, I'm sorry, I did wrong by you. I did X, Y and Z and I need to be right with you and, and to do the same thing with God. But that's the only way there you can't you can't you can't sneak around it. I can't sneak around it. These are things that have to be done. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 tells us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's the difference between those who have chosen to live for Christ and those who will hide in the caves, wanting the mountains to crush them. They're unwilling to submit. Simple as that. They're unwilling to acknowledge that they're wrong and that they need to repent that they need to ask for forgiveness, that they need to ask for forgiveness from other people. But that, that is the only way. That is the only way. There, there's so much freedom in, 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 in humbling yourself. There's so much freedom in that. You don't have to walk around with that guilt. Don't, don't, leave, don't leave here walking away in guilt. And I'm not saying come confess it to me. <laughs> what I'm saying is get right before the Lord if there's something going on in your heart and you need to get right Get right. If there's some person that you need to get right with, if there's some kind of grudge you've been holding for 20 years, and even if the person is dead, you better get home and get a notebook out and write a letter, <laughs> and relinquish your your grief and your 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 issue with that person, and 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 free yourself. Allow yourself to be freed from it. There's no excuse for a Christian to be walking around in guilt and shame. It just shouldn't be because we are having the Holy Spirit live in us, and when we do things like that. We grieve the Holy Spirit by who we are sealed for the day of redemption. All right. <clears throat> Last four verses. Don't get bored. <laughs> I know it's a list. I know it's just a list of numbers and, and names. But as I've been learning, as I've been, and been studying just the course of time, there's a purpose for this. There's a reason for it. And it's not just simply numbers and names. There's more than meets the eye. I know Corning, not Transformers, but hey. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Okay, so we need some framework here so we can understand what's going on. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. This is their general identification. They are all tribes of the children of Israel. Ethnically, they are Jews, and there are 144,000 of these chosen Jewish people. This tells us a great deal of the faithfulness of God, how he always, always, always keeps his promises no matter... How long they seem to come to fruition. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, man, Lord, I've been praying for a breakthrough. And it's just, I just feel like it's not here. I, I, I'm praying for this person that I love dearly. And they, they're just, they're still not there. Lord, and, you're, and you, you find yourself at a breaking point. You're getting tired of praying. Just, let's just keep it real. After you prayed for so long, day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I mean we're just but dirt. <laughs> it gets straining,'ll be honest, right? But, but, but you see, the Lord, His promises He will always keep no matter how long it takes, no matter how long it takes. My encouragement to you if you're there today, hang in there. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to His promises. Don't give up just because what you see doesn't meet up and match up with what you're thinking, right? Because what does the Bible say? His ways are what? Are they like our ways? His ways are far from our ways. And so there's a reason and a purpose behind why these things haven't come to fruition in your life or in your loved one's life. But don't give up. The worst thing you could possibly do is throw in the towel and give up because things are going to get so hairy. We're going to get rid of these masks in like a week. And like I said, you see Russia, you know, going into Ukraine. you see all these other things popping off. So we're going out of one season of this crazy pandemic or whatever it is that we're in. And we're going to into a whole nother situation where it's going to get a whole lot. It's just going to get a whole lot crazier. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going to go back to what it was. And so we have to hold on and we need to be there. We need to be those pillars within God's children, again, to intercede for those around us that we we don't want to see perish, that we don't want to see fall victim to the enemy's schemes. This this statement of the 144,000 and what God is doing, this also confirms that the Jewish nation are his chosen people. Now, we have to understand this. Not that they are any better than any other ethnic group, but that God, in his perfect wisdom, decided it best to use them to witness to the world of who he is. That's what it is. You see, and people's feelings get hurt and and, and, and they start, you know, sliding Jewish people and this and that. It's like, come on, man, you're acting like a child. You're acting like the you're acting like the sibling who Didn't get the ice cream right when the other sibling got it. And now you're all jealous and want to knock the ice cream out of the brother or sister's hands because you don't got one. Come on now, don't be jealous. We can't be jealous like that. God loves us all the same, but he has a specific purpose for the Jews. And we should be grateful for that. Had it not been for the Jewish people, where would we be as Gentiles? You know, and then you got some whole, I don't want to get into it. It's another rabbit hole. You got the whole black Israelite, you know, black Hebrew thing. And then that's, again, hanging hanging their salvation on a heritage, which, again, is flimsy at best, because we know the Word of God says the true uh, believer is the one that lives out his faith. Not, not based on some kind of bloodline. Yes, the bloodline has a purpose, but you could be a Jew and still be unsaved. So it's not about that. But back to the whole point of the Jews being his chosen people. Exodus chapter 9, 19, excuse me, verses 3 down through 6. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we see it right there, that statement. And and that's true of the Jewish people. So now we have to ask the question, who were the priests and what did the priests do? Well, in the ancient world, they instructed people about God and interceded for people before God. But now, if the entire nation of Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, then what other people were the Jews supposed to instruct and intercede for? Who's left? The rest of the earth, right? The, nation, the rest of the nations of the earth are left. And that's why we see, again, this connection between the Jewish people being the chosen people of God who he wanted to speak through them to show the world his ways. At Sinai... They received more than the law of Moses. They received a mandate rooted in God's desire to see his revelation go out to all the people of the earth. God planned to establish a kingdom of priests so that the rest of the nations might learn who he is and come to worship him. That's the whole purpose. This mandate to be a community of witnesses runs through the Jewish people's entire history beginning as far back as the call of Abram. Remember, before he was Abraham, this is all prophetic things that were to come. So now we get into uh, all these different tribes. It says, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Okay, this is their specific identification again. The 144,000 are divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. Though only God may know their tribal ancestry, there are 12,000 from each tribe. Now we have this statement of the tribe, and then we see the listing of the tribes. But if you notice, the tribe of Dan is left out. Now, some think this is because Dan could be the tribe of the Antichrist based on Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, and Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 16. Now, I am no expert on this in any way, okay? So I can't say for sure that that's true. But without a doubt, I can say that Dan was the tribe that introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel. If you go back to Genesis chapter 49, verse 17, it says, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backward. But again, we have to look at the redemptive work of God, right? And how he redeems people, even though we're broken and we go the wrong way. The flip side of this is that there is a wonderful redemption for the tribe of Dan. Dan is the first tribe listed in Ezekiel's millennial roll call of the tribes in Ezekiel chapter 48. This list is also interesting in the way that the tribe of Ephraim is referred to, but only indirectly. The tribe of Joseph is mentioned, but, the, but Joseph was represented by two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Since the tribe of Manasseh is mentioned by elimination, the tribe of Joseph must be the tribe of Ephraim, who is listed, but not by name. Perhaps Ephraim was slighted also because Ephraim was also associated excuse me, with great idolatry. Hosea chapter 4 verse 17 tells us, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. All that to say this the application is, you can still be saved, but be sure your sins will find you out. Consequences still apply to the regenerated Christian life. We, like the tribes of Israel, are still accountable. Accountable. Excuse me. Excuse me for all we say and all we do. And also this statement of the tribes. Now, some Bible scholars claim that this list must be purely symbolic because it is irregular. They call it irregular. And that this is the—I don't want to say the danger, but this is why you have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. You can't just solely rely on commentaries because commentaries are written by men, and some and men are fallible. <laughs> and and, and you, you, can't, you, just, you just can't base it based on a commentary alone. You can't base it on several commentaries alone. You should only use a commentary in, <laughs> as a tool as you go through the word, right? And this is why. Because they, they have different opinions on subject matter. They talked about irregular, but then we must ask the question, what is regular? What is a regular listing of the tribes of Israel? There are not less than 20 different ways of listing the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, including that one that omits the tribe of Dan. You can find that in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 7. Just because a list is different doesn't mean it is symbolic. It is correct to regard each of these lists as legitimate and to consider each specific variation that it serves a purpose, meaning to emphasize something. And that's what I believe is going on here in the listing of the tribes the way they're listed. It's for a specific purpose. So now we have to ask the question who are these 144,000? Who are these? Many different groups claim to be the 144,000. This one I'm sure you guys all know. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses said once that their entire group was the 144,000 <laughs> until the members of their religion surpassed 144,000 in number. I don't mean I don't mean to make fun, but it's just it's just kind of silly, right? You don't have to be a smart preschooler to kind of understand that doesn't add up. <laughs> even though it's big numbers. Now, they say that the 144,000 are only a select group of witnesses who should go to heaven. Well, I know. You don't want to be a part of that religious group because how do you know if you're part of that 144,000? And what if you're outside of the clique? What does that mean? I don't get to go to heaven? I'm not part of your 144,000. Most Bible scholars regard the 140,000 as converted Jews. That's, that's what we see. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not, they're not some, you know, apostle so-and-so from, you know, church on the hill somewhere. No, they're, they're converted Jews who are still identified as Israelites in some manner. Some facts about the 144,000 from Revelation 7 and Revelation Chapter 14, give us insight regarding their identity. I'm going to list these, okay, quickly, because these are things that you can look up on your own time to confirm that this is correct. But the first one is they are called the children of Israel in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. The second is their tribal uh, affiliation is specific, Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. The third is they seem to be protected and triumphant through the period of God's wrath meeting with Jesus at Mount Zion at his return revelation chapter 14 verse 1 they are called to be celibate revelation chapter 14 verse 4 the next five they are beginning they are the beginning of the great the greater harvest revelation chapter 14 verse 4 and six they are marked by integrity and faithfulness revelation chapter 14 verse 5 it is best to see The 144,000 as specifically chosen Jewish people who come to faith in Jesus protectively sealed throughout the tribulation as a sign. They are the beginning harvest of the salvation of Israel. Romans chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 tells us, I ask, then has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Now, there's, there's so many more verses that it just just kind of confirm this. I'll read, for the sake of reading, I'll read one more. Romans chapter 11, verse 26 and in this way, all Israel will be saved. I mean, it's right there, right? As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. In, in these verses, Jesus describes the role that he would rather have held in relationship to the city of the people of Israel. Speaking from the perspective of God as a member of the Trinity, Jesus noted how often he would have had to step in to protect Jerusalem and their children. The symbolism here is unique in Scripture and carries an almost maternal sense because he's he's looking after, he wants to look after them. Jesus, the Son of God, describes his heart motive to protect his people. But then this arises the question, why did God not choose, in fact, uh, to offer them protection? Why did he allow them to go through all that they went through? Why did they suffer so much judgment and death? You, you think about uh, the things that the, 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 the nation of Israel has been through. Why would they come to be exposed to the destruction? The reality is this. The people were not willing to receive his protection. Simple as that. They, were, they, they, they chose not to receive it. They rejected God and his messengers and his message. And so judgment fell as it will soon fall again. We see this time and time again throughout history. So many times Satan has tried to destroy Israel, but to no avail because they are God's chosen people. He won't let them go like that. There will always be a remnant of those people, those Jews who belong to God. I'm going to end with this as the worship team comes up. This is just a fun fact. I I found this as I, I was studying this week, but here's a list of wars that Israel has been through since 1947. Uh, Starting with Israel's War of Independence from 1947 to 1949, then the Sinai Campaign, Operation Kadesh in 1956, then the Six-Day War in June of 1967, then the War of Attrition in 1968 through 1970, then the Yom Kippur War in October of 1973, then the Lebanon War, Operation Peace of Galilee, Peace for Galilee, excuse me, that was in 1982. Then the Gulf War, we're familiar with that. Probably many of you have relatives that served in that war in 1991. Then the second Lebanon War in 2006. And this list does not count biblical wars that have gone on for centuries before this and the current warfare of our time today. All we need to do, again, is to look at the current atmosphere, the current climate in the world today, In world relations with nations. Again, with Russia invading Ukraine. Along with China and Iran on the rise. You know, our military needs to step it up. Man, you know. But that's a side note. World power is shifting, folks. It's just a reality. As the Bible said it would. We are witnessing first-hand birth pains leading to the beginning of the end. We're coming closer and closer one day at a time to Jesus' return. But this is the hope. God never fails. His chosen people will be redeemed as so will His church. We are His church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I just thank You that you are hope, and you give us hope, Lord. I, I take, I take no pleasure in, in 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 bringing these heavy words, Lord, but I can only be truthful to what you share with me. I can't water down your word. That would be a disservice and a disgrace to you. I believe that as your word is spoken, it is supposed to provoke in us a level of reverent fear and to encourage us to seek your face all the more. May we be about your business in these last days. May we not find ourselves just floating through life while people are dying every day while the warfare is becoming more intense and more intense in other regions of the world. We see with gas prices being $5 a gallon. We're getting hit indirectly with things that are happening on the other side of the world. And one day they're going to come crashing down at our front door. Will we be ready? Who will we rely on in that time? Who will we cry out to? Jehovah Jireh, you are our provider. It's not our job. It's not, it's not a corporation. It's not anything but you, or may we find ourselves constantly at your feet. May we find ourselves constantly looking to do whatever it is that would be a blessing to someone else. For that is how we prove that we love you, is by loving people. Will you give us just a burden for those around us? And may we not rest until your purpose is done in our lives. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen.